Hi, and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and Clay's not with me today. Um, I have some friends, Nick Angie and Joe Giordano. Howdy. How's it going? To help discuss 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street. Boys, how are we doing? Excellent film. Great film. Yeah. Um, We're talking about this in honor of The Irishman coming out to Netflix. Um, out on Netflix now, actually. Um, and yeah, so what, how, when can you guys recall seeing this the first time? Uh, it was with him, right? Yeah. It had to be. It had to be. Had to be with our man, Jack, here. He's the, the, the major film buff of the group. The man with the Blu-rays. <laughs> the man with the Blu-rays and the Blu-ray Blu-ray play. No one's ever <laughs> no, the first time we saw this was definitely with Jack. Jack probably showed it to us, I believe. Probably had to be years ago now. Oh my god. No, we saw this in Maine. You had this on Blu-ray. Did we see it in Maine? Not you. I saw it for the first time with you guys. I know that. Yeah. But... This was a six years ago? This is a six-year-old movie? This is a six-year-old movie. Are we sure about this? We saw this when we were 13? Oh, wow. Around that. Jeez, you had gotten it on Blu-ray. We had watched it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. But it, that's beside the point. Well, what I can recall is that there was this mythology built around it. Like, this was the, oh, this this has boobies. This, <laughs> this has, <laughs> Like, this is the one where where it's like the record-setting F-bombs. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... Someone say Mark when Robbie's naked. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> like, I mean, when you have that stature built around yourself, then a bunch of eighth graders are going to be all the more curious. And not stay Holy away. Holy shit, we were in eighth grade. Yeah. That's crazy. But um, but no, I think this like I'm saying, this was um this was a movie that had a lot built around it, both with the Leo of it and and I remember this was shortly before I took movies more seriously. Um this was when I kind of knew things at face value. And so I'd always knew about it, but I obviously I didn't see it in cinemas. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't, um, it wasn't that long. It was like a year or two after it, after it ended its theatrical run that I saw it. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was just like, wow, this, <laughs> this was, it, it was like, um, Incredible. it was like the feeling you get when you're sick. It's like sinning. Right. It's, it's like, sinning. It's like um, you have to go to church. You you're recovering. Yeah, you're recovering from a cold. You have to go to yeah, yeah, to right, exactly. Because <laughs> you think you're on toilets. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's an insane movie. It with, is. And a lot of drugs. Quite outrageous moments and performances and um, and uh, scenes. Yeah, I agree. I love it. Excellent movie. Excellent, excellent movie. Um, this is from. A, a very old man too, <laughs> and it doesn't seem like it. It seems like Martin Scorsese says he tapped into of a someone half of his age. He's seventy six, so he was he was seventy. He was seventy. Seventy when, when he, he made, made this film, and it, it, it's written as if it he was like thirty right. at the time. It's incredible. I yeah. love it. It's I quite outstanding about it. It's quite outrageous. Performance wise, excellent. DiCaprio is just incredible. Ludo DiCaprio is. 
shooting on all cylinders. He's Give the man an Oscar. <laughs> elite. Um, he elite. now owns an Oscar. So that joke, sadly, puts a rest. Hey, but he's not fucking leaving. He's not fucking leaving. He's not. <laughs> but now we're going to demand for him to have two Oscars. You better. That's the new joke. Right? Is that yeah. the new joke? Are we starting That's that right the... <laughs> now? Is, it, is that going right now? Turn uh, on my meme page. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Leo is outstanding. I think this is my favorite performance of his. Um, because the great thing that I've always enjoyed about him is that he understands that half of acting is listening. And whenever he says something, you're fully locked in and engaged with what he has to say. Because he's fully locked into whatever he's saying. I can't think of a performance that I've seen from him that he's that he's he's not hundred percent less than interested. Um, so that's kind of the strength that this movie rests upon. It rests upon him because he's he's in practically every scene, and um, he needs to command the room in the movie the same way that Belfort commands um, you. I, I think that's how I see it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. He portrays Belfort. To a T. And, you know, fun fact about this, you know, um, Jordan Belford, you know, had a little hope. First, he obviously, you know, went to prison or whatever. He wrote it like a memoir about, you know, his life leading up to the point that he was at. And uh, he had a little hope writing this with uh, from Tommy Chong, who, you know, was in Cheech and Chong, you know, great. Great actor, legend, god of all stoners, <laughs> um, and they were soulmates. And uh, so <clears throat> Jordan Belford first wrote his memoir. You know, kind of he showed it to Tommy Chong, and Tommy Chong basically was just like, "This is awful. Like, you gotta, you gotta do better than this." And so let Jordan, me help you. Well, at at first, Jordan Belford hated him. From he didn't speak to him for a straight month. Rewrote his memoir. Uh, you know, Chami Chong obviously helped him out a little bit. I don't know if I'm, you know, getting, well, all, the, getting all the facts right. I heard I heard this on uh, another podcast that I listened to. Um, and when they both got released, you know, accordance to the law, you they can't they can't talk see to each, each other. other outside of jail. Right? So yeah, so Jordan Belford drove by Tommy Chong's house and yelled out the window. I sold it to Martin Scorsese, and he's making a movie. Uh, somewhere along the line of that. Obviously, I'm not, you know, true upon this. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, it's, I'm just kind of taking what right. I took out of the well, explanation. We're, we're passing on what we've heard. Exactly. I believe this is written by Terrence Winter. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking up. But yeah, is that, is that story done? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on here. Yeah. All right, let's yeah, uh, <laughs> let's 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 bring it to uh, let's start off with Margot Robbie. Yeah, right. He he produced The Sopranos. That's how I know. Ah, Terrence Winter. He wrote the, the film. Um, so, Margot Robbie. Yeah, Margot Robbie is performance-wise. Uh, I think Margot Robbie is uh, it's quite an a Star Is Born kind of role. Like you feel like. The moment that she walks into that beach house, um, it's that kind of starstruck feeling that Jordan gets. It's like you, you feel can, like that you're falling in love with someone. You that can you, feel what he's feeling. Oh it's yeah, like like the sense of awe. Yeah, and like wow, that is. I've never seen someone like this before. Like yeah. we've 
there's uh, many good-looking people that star in movies all the time. Leonardo DiCaprio is one of them. Um, but none look like Margot Robbie. Nobody's like Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie is very, it's, it's very, like, very um, unique, I guess you could say, in a way. It's almost, I always say, like, nobody looks like Gina Davis. <laughs> um, like, nobody looks like Margot Robbie quite like her. It's and just... It's magnetic. It's close elite. to it, yeah. but no one, no one's ever going to be like that. She's um, just. I'm the only one here that's seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, I believe you are. The new Quentin Tarantino movie, and I believe that Margot Robbie now is 29, and that would make her 23. Yeah, when she uh, Wolf of Wall Street came out, and it looks like those two ro- movies were filmed like. A day apart because she looks outstanding. She does not look a day over twenty four. She doesn't, and yeah. she is twenty nine, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I mean, to see someone um, that that has that much of an on screen presence is uh, quite something. And the effect she that just she has slips, yeah, and she slips well. into this queen's this deep, thick queen's accent. It's heavy, yeah. And she holds that throughout the yeah. whole movie, which is rather impressive for somebody from, I believe, yeah. Dalby, Dalby, Australia. I'm not quite sure where that is, but I mean, it's it's Australia. Nick, thoughts on Magarabi? Um, smoking hot. <laughs> um, per usual, the things that come out of Nick's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely would smash. Mm-hmm. What do you think of her performance? Yeah, um, acting, uh, the things that actors are paid to do. Uh, they get paid for that? Only a little bit. Never would have guessed. Okay. It's minimum wage in California. Oh, really? <laughs> a little bit, give or take. Add a couple hundred on there, yeah, and you might have it. Her, her acting portraying as Jordan Belfort's wife is Naomi. She has a Naomi. name. Don't degrade her like that. <laughs> um, yeah, she did a phenomenal job, and the fact that she transitioned from you know her normal Australian accent to yeah. a thick, heavy Queen's she, you, accent. It's just it's key that Marty found it unknown, relative or at least relatively unknown, to play this role because you you feel like yeah, like um, this is someone that that I can watch. In movies for the next twenty five years, definitely, and never get bored. And yeah, like I'm it's not always, sure. It's not like oh, I wonder if like she's gonna have such a like as good a performance as she did in this movie mm-hmm. or that movie or whatever. You're always like, man, I wonder what she can do next. Yeah, I feel like she can, she can pull off a lot of different stuff. And it's it wasn't it's just that Leo and Brad Pitt. Open Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just with their names above the title. It was also because Margot was above the title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was about to spoil the end of that movie, but I don't think I will. Uh, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> good catch. Good catch. Good catch. Yeah. Great catch. <laughs> Eric Andre. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it's out, it's outstanding work. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill's character has to be one of my favorites. Donnie Azoff is... <laughs> One of the best supporting casting choices of the decade, I would. Donnie, I would say so. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Because it was only two years apart from Moneyball. Have you guys was it? Seen Moneyball? I have seen Moneyball. Moneyball. You haven't seen Moneyball. 
it's very subdued. It is. It, it's very reserved. And I love that performance. I love that movie. Um, it's quite literally inside baseball. It, it <laughs> it's is. Quite, yeah. And um, he seems like a guy that studied economics at Yale. And you wouldn't think that it's Evan from Superbad. Yeah. You know, like, like it is like um, he gained even more weight to play that role. It's based on another true story. And you wouldn't believe that the same guy's playing Donnie in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Like it's, he it's played so yeah, that's right. incredibly different. Yeah. I feel like. Dude has range. Yeah. I, I like, like the dude can pull off anything. So this is like the most incredible. boring opinion of all time. But yeah, like. Well, one of my favorite quotes from Donnie is. Uh, is uh, <laughs> You got my money taped to your tits, honey. Technically, you do work for me. Like, I, I feel like that's just like... What? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think it just shows that he can be funny in, like, a serious situation. And I well, yeah, that, that's just how Jonah Hill is, though. Yeah. That's just how Jonah yeah, Hill is. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's what makes him so great at what he does, is he can not only play anything like super serious without having to be the big goofball that he is yeah. to being to being fucking daddy. The dude choking on the floor after eating too much ham, taking quaaludes. Like, like there's this, hey. do you remember this scene in Moneyball when him and Brad Pitt make some kind of trade, some kind of baseball player swap and he's about to uh, make this deal and he, and he has this face that he like scrunches up his face and make this fist. He's like this to pit. And he lets it loose for a second. And you're like, this is the Jonah Hill I know from super bad. Like this yeah. is babysitter <laughs> it, Judah Hill. Like, it kind of yeah, brings he's in. Like, um, but it's only for like a second. He's like high five and Brad Pitt. He's like, come on. Like, yeah, and he gets all, all excited. He and, gets so excited. And, and then it's super reserved. Yeah. And then he just down, goes right back to brings it. Brings it down, tones yeah. it down right back to what he was doing totally. before. That. He's so good. It's almost like he's um it's almost like a reference in a way, I guess, mm. to, to who sure. Jonah Hill really, really is. Mm-hmm. Down, like, I mean, he's, look at him in a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Look at him in like twenty one jump street. Yeah. Twenty two jump street. Sure. He's just a goofy fat kid. He is. Yeah. And he he basically just portrays that in every movie, I feel like. Well obviously obviously not, you know, there he has some serious roles. Yeah. You know, like um I can't think of that movie, but uh with him and James Franco. True story? Yes. And that was more of like a serious right. role for John yeah. Hill. Wow, I did not remember that, was, that existed. I wasn't yeah. expecting that at all. True story, yeah. Yeah, that was more of a serious role for him. And that kind of showed... He's him. really great in this TV show, Maniac. Maniac. Yeah. Um, with Emma Stone and Justin Thoreau. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's like on Netflix. It's like a sci-fi show. And huh. it's he's really, he lost a lot of weight for that show. He like got a new haircut. Yeah, it's he's excellent. Good for him. Good for Jonah Hill. Good for you know? Jonah Hill, yeah. man. You know what? I'm gonna give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's see what's up. Let's yeah. bring him down here. Jonah Hill, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guest <laughs> appearance for this episode. Marty's. We'll get there one day. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Jonah Hill, come on the pod. <laughs> this is for Jonah Hill. Um, we'd love to have you on. Send him um, an audio message. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Cameo. Okay. Hey. Did you guys know that he was almost going to play the Riddler in the upcoming the Batman movie? Really? Almost. But now it's going to be Paul Dano. I feel like that would have been incredible. Have you guys... <laughs> have you guys heard that um, Colin Farrell is the Penguin? Really? 
Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm hearing I'm hearing a lot about He's this a hot right penguin. Now. Have you guys not heard this cast? These cast no, is. I, I really Kravitz haven't. is Catwoman. Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. I, I wrote thirteen hundred words about Robert Pattinson. You, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. I read a um, one. <laughs> that I was the topic this. of every conversation we had for like a month. <laughs> right. Yeah, was, was Robert Pattinson being Batman? <laughs> I'm still ecstatic. Jeffrey Wright is Commissioner Gordon. Um, Andy Serkis is Alfred. With no CGI. With no CGI. But yeah, um, and Marty Scorsese is going to play Joker. No, I'm just kidding. No. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's not bring up Joker. <laughs> he was almost going to produce that. Joaquin Phoenix, everybody. <laughs> yeah, he's coming. He's coming down the stairs. Um, Doing his little dance. <laughs> <laughs> he's punching himself in the chest. He's a weird guy. He's, All right, well, he's our greatest living he's our greatest living you. actor <laughs> we forget that um but no like yeah, right, Jonah Hill um astonishing this so funny yep. so so funny he is that one scene where he just you know Leonardo DiCaprio my dad my dad <laughs> Naomi played by Marvel Robbie yeah. <laughs> And you know, it's just Jordan well, in the background jerking off. Right, right. <laughs> oh my and it's and it's because I think Marty has never made a comedy, or at least not a traditional one, quite like the quite in his Goodfellas casino formula, that we didn't know that he had it in him. So it's not like it's unexpected. It's unexpected, right. But it, it when on six years of retrospect and four rewatches for me, I'm now beginning to understand, well, obviously more of a deeper dive into his career. I'm now beginning to understand that he does have this in him. He really, um, he really, really does. Yeah. Cause it's, it's all the inclusions of the well, quote unquote, good casino formula mixed in with the excess and the greed and the, um, the power control that he's always been um, addicted to with these kind of um, sane people getting trapped into insane worlds with, um, with less than colorful figures. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause Jordan starts out as a relatively good person. He likes his, his girlfriend played by the mother from how it met your mother. Um, he gets engaged. He has a small apartment. It's it's adorable. He's, but then he's hypnotized by McConaughey, McConaughey. a very an incredible one of the great one scene performances of the decade as well. Um, As short as it is, he he gets in there and he gets out of there. It's great. Small role, but it's a big role. It's a big one, yeah, because it's it's formative, right? Yeah, his whole yeah his whole uh, chest like pre. Pre, pre, how do I word this? Pre, right. The the famous chest pumping. The chest pumping scene um, that is is something that McConaughey for those people that don't know is something that McConaughey does uh, before every film. Mm -hmm. But Scorsese was the first guy to be like, "Hey, let's incorporate. Let's let's show the world what this guy is doing. This is awesome. This is good stuff." (laughs) And it ties in so well to the uh, to my personal favorite scene in the movie: his speech, Mm -hmm. his quote unquote. 
leaving speech, if you will, where he's yeah. not fucking leaving. That's no. for sure. <laughs> um, it's awesome. And then it's like, it's so quick. You feel like everything that's going on, like um, him getting fired from Wall Street and then starting his own firm, meeting Donnie, um, teaching everyone, uh, finding the penny stocks, beating Spike Jones. <laughs> Yeah. Like he's um it it's just so fast and you feel just as into a head rush as Jordan is. So guys, um are you too aware of the recent comments Martin Scorsese made about Marvel movies? No, I'm not actually to any extent. I haven't heard a single thing about it. Nick, Tell are us, you? Please. I have not. Okay. Well, he's basically saying they aren't cinema. Oh. And it's and it's like that they are less than because they're taking a bigger priority over like original ideas. Like um and he feels that they're not as emotionally stimulative as the movies that he grew up with and he um helped Helped sculpt. So he's saying that I just wanted to say that they're not original. That they're not um, meaningful. Meaningful to what he considers to be um, cinematic achievement, or at least he he compared them to theme parks in that it gives the MCU has given you, um, and I'm singling out the MCU because he did as well, I believe. He compared them to theme parks in, in that um, just that's the amount of stimulants that it, it gives you. I'm not great. Now, that is his opinion. Right. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Yes. That doesn't mean we have to agree with it. Right. What the fuck? Marvel movies are everything. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that statement. Right. I don't I don't think you can come out and say that it's unoriginal to an extent like that saying what was it what how did he how did he put it? He, he compared them to theme to parks. Theme parks? Yeah. How so? Like roller coasters. Like, I can understand right. that. Right. But at the same time, yeah, it's not your conventional movie. Scorsese is 76. Yes. He grew up with some old, older films. He, However, he made some of the best movies. He, of yeah, all time. exactly. He's, He's entitled he has, to this. Yeah, he is very entitled to this. However, I don't necessarily think that you can come out and say that it's unoriginal like that. You can compare it to a roller coaster. And I'm yes. maybe prefacing, so maybe I'm getting some things wrong. It could, but it's this is a good topic anyway. I think I think we can roll with that. Um, I feel like as. A, Unoriginal as they are, they do come from comic books. I'll I'll give them that, but they still have to be for someone like myself, and especially someone like me, like myself, Nick, and even you, Jack. Um, diving into a universe like that and having such an extensive um, lore behind each film and each character and what has happened. I mean, think of how we put put together all these um all the movies and before uh, endgame came out 
think of what like we we were all we would theorize we would do this for like hours right we'd I mean, sit around theorize and be like this is what could happen like I guess you can call it a roller coaster as in like this kind of it's story exciting this variation peaks, of and then dips this yes. variation of storytelling has never been done before yeah there's never been anything like it and, it's very 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 new and it's it's only been uh, achieved in the past fifteen years. Maybe so exactly, and the way that Marty talks about this, he doesn't sound like an old crotchety man. That's like a Clint Eastwood type. Like, like I'm gonna get my, one shot. Way or right, right, right. Like, like yeah. it's one or two shots, and we're done for the day. Like, yeah. <laughs> everyone's out of here at two thirty. Yeah, well, my eight it's, hours, and I want to go home. Yeah, he's not. He's not like that. In fact, he's not even like Spielberg. That recently voiced his opinions about how Netflix doesn't Netflix movies aren't movies. They're TV movies. They're TV movies. Right. And that I can kind of agree with. And and it's like I Spielberg kind of reinvented blockbuster cinema. So it's like, okay guy, like why won't if you're misunderstanding something that is reinventing blockbuster cinema, but you did the same thing. So where is that? Yeah, where does how does that how is that line? How, how, how does someone but with Scorsese, he's devoted his life to cinema. He's devoted his career, his quote unquote job. So and he's still doing it. And he's, he's still, yeah, yeah. How old? I was about to ask. How old was he when he created his, or when he directed his first film? Do we know? That's a very good question. Let's let's uh, let's let's you know, find out because I as like you guys you guys banter. I'll rolling off of I'll that. Yeah. I I as for yes, I agree. That guy, the dudes, it made some incredible movies. Some of the the best movies of all time. I can 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. However, just because it's not something that he he has um, grown up with and created and he's used to doesn't mean it's 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 unoriginal and, 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 it, and it doesn't mean it's a problem. He's saying it more to the fact that he, I, I at least I feel that He's kind of trying to say that Marvel and I, I don't know. Is he talking about DC as well? He just said he specifically called out Marvel. Okay, so he's talking about how Marvel like. But they, I think they're that kind of, they're kind of drawn towards more of like, you know, kids. Obviously, they have you know their adult fan, their um, fan base. Yeah, their fan their base, fan base like, is definitely more, more directed like, towards people like yeah. like me and you. And Scorsese, you know, he does more. Do you guys want to? Do you guys want to take a guess when he twenty eight? Directed, who's that knocking at my door? Uh, on my watch list. 27. Ooh, I was close. He's 27 years old. So that's nearly 50 years of experience yeah. directing films like that. Yeah. Creating some of the best work that the film industry has ever seen, yeah. hands down. Mm-hmm. But... Like I he said, knows a thing or two. He does know a thing or two, which which I I, I understand and I can totally roll with, and I under, and I, I get where he's coming from. But like I said, Scorsese maybe he's not necessarily the, not only is he not the fan base, but him not being used to this can't necessarily get inside the headspace of a huge like a, a, a big Marvel fan like myself, like Nick, like you, Jack. And it's um, it's just I, I I don't know I feel like for someone like us 
watching the Marvel movies, like I said, we can we can go on and on and on and theorize and and, and dive deep into the lore and everything behind mm-hmm. each character and each movie. Each it's it's great. I don't I mean, know. If we want to get into Marvel lore, we can switch it up. I'll just talk the whole time. Well, <laughs> we can wait on that for like a. We'll, we'll do that another day. That's, that's uh, a story for another time. Spider-Man Homecoming episode. I don't know. (laughs) Why not? But um, this was for an interview in Empire. And this was like an introspective on his entire career when he was probing the Irishman recently. And in that interview, he said that he gave Marvel movies a shot. Like, it's not like he took a look at it and he's like, no, thank you. Like, he tried to watch, sit down and actually watch them, which I would be fascinated to find out which ones, quite honestly. Like, yeah. if he's like, I'll throw are, on... There are some there's, you know, iffy ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if he threw on The Incredible Hulk, then it's like, ooh, yikes. Yeah. But, but then again, if he threw on um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume yeah. 2, then it's like, that'd be even more fascinating. Because yeah. that's... Yeah, this conversation is, is a bit pointless, but it calls into question something that is now the highest grossing franchise in history. Yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at. It's, it's criticizing something that, as you said, literally like reinvented film franchising in, in, in film in general. I mean, think of how much, how much did Endgame make? It's made $2 billion. $2 billion. How many movies have made $2 billion? That and Avatar. Right? That's it. There's nothing else. That's, that is an incredible feat. Right. Think about it. Scorsese in 50 years hasn't, hasn't no one, really nobody has made a film with uh, that much profit at the end. Right. And that is such, um, such a high, like that was so highly anticipated as well. Everybody, when Endgame was coming out, was just like all over it, right? But I do see, I do agree with him in, um, I, I very much, he had this op-ed in the New York Times earlier this week where he got to elaborate, which quotes from interviews are are taken out of context and blown out of proportion all the time. Yeah, We see it happen yeah. very, very frequently, but I think... It's Marty Scorsese. So if he wants to write an op-ed in the New York Times, you're going to let him, right? Yeah, exactly. So he had this brilliant essay, and he just goes into full details, and he drops endless amount of of truth bombs. (laughs) Just like – I I can't recall details from it now, but I'll link it in the description. Um, And he talks about the the prioritization that tentpoles have had over – the films of like himself and Paul Thomas Anderson and Catherine Bigelow and um, and yeah and he's just finding not not just their financial impact has hurt other kinds of cinema but just where is this going right because we just had ironically Endgame come out yeah. but what is the MCU's end goal because this if this thing has been going on for now almost 12 years, yeah, yeah, then where's, where's this going to be in a 12 more years? Uh, well, and now you're seeing all these spinoffs, you so, know, hopping off of like, yeah. the end game, like Eternals, like, you know, the Black Widow TV show that's coming out, or, yeah. you know, small spinoffs, like, 
Agent Carter. I think um, I think another thing to to bring off of what you just said, Jack, is it's not a not even just a question of where will it like what will it be doing in twelve years? Is will it still be here in twelve years? Yeah, is it, it may is it, it may end up just dying out. Yeah, it, children of our age, we're children, but like people of our generation, you know, of more accustomed to that type of cinema and more accustomed to that type of just like yeah you know visual visualization and like people like our dad's age are more accustomed to like movies of like goodfellas or casino which scorsese was responsible for exactly i I can totally see that but at the same time it's also like our fathers at the same time are huge marvel guys my dad's a that is a massive Marvel fan. I have gone and seen every single Mar- Marvel movie that has come out with him. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> that's that's just just the way it is. <laughs> All right, so let's hop back onto Wolf yeah. Let's let's um, we, we kind of got we kind of got bringing it bringing it back here right. from the sidetrack. <clears throat> a little bit of a snowball effect right there, but that's all right. Tangents are welcome. I like it. What? <laughs> 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 I'm just yeah, <clears throat> but that's been the latest in Scorsese versus Marvel. Interesting, and interesting. it and to me, this not only keeps the Irishman. Well, this is going to seem dated when it comes out, but it not only keeps the Irishman in relevancy from the time that it begins its theatrical run and the time it comes on in Netflix, but it also means that Scorsese is running for best director in the Oscars. Yeah, how you run for an Oscar. It's not like politics. It it is, but it also isn't. It's you're supposed to be celebrating cinema, but you're also supposed to be taking down your competitors. Yeah. At the same time. But you're also supposed to be running, but you're supposed to not seem like you're running. Um it's but this is Scorsese's I'm not seeming like I'm running mode. Like I don't like to in my eyes, he's the front runner for the Irishman's directing right now. Um, I can attest to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like going on, like for example, the um, best actor race is for me is like Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, Robert De Niro and the Irishman, and Adam Driver for Marriage Story, and all three of those guys are very very quiet. They don't like to do press. Yeah. They're very secretive in 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 their uh, methods, and so it's not going to be the loudest of actor races yeah, either uh, yeah. they're all very enclosed people yes and the only one that could campaign and is all is kissing all the babies and shaking all the hands is antonio banderas and painting glory yeah. and it's not very often that you see a non-american well i mean i just six months ago i would not have predicted antonio banderas but he's the one that would seem like to do the most campaigning. Anyway, um, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. That's Wolf the reason we're here. <laughs> so now, um, yeah, where should we go? Where, where, where do we, where do we just leave off from? Where we were uh, before we uh, went off on that little tangent. Well, okay. I believe you were supposed to. I was talking about um, the the way the movie makes you feel, as in, mm-hmm. like you're uh, you're one with the characters, right? Right, and then you were going to go into so. Um, uh, the speech. The speech. This, the I'm not fucking leaving speech. As we like to you have to specify the speech. 
the I'm not fucking yeah, vegan. There we go. There's the sign. <laughs> yeah. Is that do I have to I have to put more emphasis on that? <laughs> or, or please do. Or, I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> all right, that's a speech. You know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. We've all seen the scene. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. done now. Um, <laughs> the what I was going off of, I think before we before we um left left that little tangent going was um the way that we feel for everybody in that room in that office space mm. as DiCaprio playing um, playing Belford is uh, is really really feeling about this because everyone knows Belford is like the man everyone loves Bill, uh, Jordan so much everyone's on he's done so much for the company and we were talking about Kimmy Kimmy is the uh, the woman that was one of the original 20 as he says for his company and for uh, yeah for stratton and they he starts out he said you know what she did she came to me and she asked me for a job and a five thousand dollar check in advance and then he says go ahead kimmy tell me what i did for you and she starts you know you start to really feel for them you get to you see you see this um the sadness in not only dicaprio but also in kimmy kimmy's got really very, very emotional. When seconds before this, everyone was like, he called out when he called out Kimmy. She was, uh, everyone was all cheering. And so, you know, like the wolf whistle kind of deal. She goes, ah, ha, ha, fuck you, whatever. Too straight, just teary eyed. Like, thank you so much. You're the best. And, you know, Jordan goes. I believe the exact that? words were, I fucking love you, Jimmy. I fucking. I mean, Jimmy, Jordan. I, I fucking love you, Jordan. That's at yeah. the end of it. Yeah. And it plays when, on that because they fall back and tell about her backstory, how she had yeah. an eight-year-old son. Wanted to pay for his tuition and the reason. behind on rent. Yep. And the whole thing was, you know, she asked for a $5,000 check to pay her kid's tuition. And that's when that's when Jordan says, go ahead, Kimmy, like, tell him, uh, tell him what I did for you. And she mm-hmm. starts getting all emotional. And you really, really feel for her when she starts getting DiCaprio upset. nails that. He does. Oh, he amazing. absolutely nails it on the head. It's incredible. Yeah. And Kimmy says, incredible. I... He, you gave me a job mm-hmm. and you, you wrote me a check for $25,000. And now look at where yeah. she is. And it's it's more, and he's, the, one of the best lines in that whole scene is, and that's because I fucking believed in you. And look at where we are right now. Yeah, It's incredible. And you really start to put it in perspective as in, yes, DiCaprio left his old life behind, dumped the whole poverty thing, broke up with his, his fiance. The mother from behind your mother. Right, yeah, the, the mother from How I Met Your Mother dumped everything, left everything behind, but it's still, still with him. His, I feel like, I feel like Kimmy's the reminder of that every single day. You know, mm-hmm. she, she was just like him, started from dirt, started from nothing, had an eight-year-old son behind on rent, couldn't mm-hmm. pay tuition, to working in one of the biggest stock growth companies there is. As much as I love Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club. How he lost the Oscar for to, for this, um, it's astonishing. I mean, we can debate the validity of the Oscars all night, I think. Yeah. But at the same time, I do like to see people get prizes. <laughs> um, I like to see the people you like. Especially that. <laughs> Put that on my epitaph, please. Um, but yeah, I, I do believe that this is um, a career best performance and um i mean i think that the aviator 
competes this for DiCaprio's best for me. I agree. Now, I haven't seen The Aviator, but I know the premise of it, and I know Mm -hmm. Leo was astonishing in that film, you know, coming from the explanations of Leo. Sure. And, you know, just falling back on, you know, many of his other films, obviously, phenomenal actor, phenomenal actor. You can just see the transition from each film, you know, from uh, that movie, Grapes. Gilbert Grape? Gilbert Grapes. His transition from, like, that to Wall Street. We're not going to go to Critters 3? Yeah. Before that? Yeah. You can see the transition from that <laughs> to, you know, Wolf of Wall Street sure. or The Revenant or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Inception. Inception. Yeah. Great film. Watch it when you're big. Watch it. Do you promote Wolf of Wall Street? We'll put that in the description. Yo. <laughs> but no, I... podcast coming out. Uh, Rolling Thoughts with Nick and I and Jack as well. Uh, stay tuned for that. But no, I do believe that. Um, <laughs> I do believe this Smash is. Smash that like button. <laughs> Let's think, get up to 5,000 likes. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, I, I think, yeah, that's a really great point that you see him mature yeah. over time as well. Um, that's, that's, have either of you seen Gangs of New York? I have not. I, have. I don't. I don't. I've never liked it because. It seems like Leo was the first time that I can recall miscast. He seems like a kid in a dress-up world. Like, he's playing a kid in a costume. Uh, yeah, I and like more. most of those actors are more experienced yeah. and more meant for that role. He was just coming out of, like... He's still, he was still a very young actor, mm-hmm. you know, still kind of had that way about him. Yeah. And the fact that he had to play such a serious role in that yeah. movie just kind of... You know, it, it didn't really fit. He obviously did, you know, well in that. Yeah. You know, um, it just didn't really fit. And worst of all, that movie's very boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, that that's the same year as another one of my favorite DiCaprio performances, Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. I love Catch Me If You Can. It's, it's another maybe my favorite Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Right, right next to Minority Report. Really? I adore that movie. It's about confidence, and it's about um, how confidence can be uh, taught by tragedy and by success. And it's similar things going on. That plays that kind of plays plays Wolf, Wolf, Wolf Wall Street a little bit because Frank Abagnale is um, someone that is that has a lot of ambition and drive, but also um, is swept up in this. In this whole scheme that he's um, that he's uh, created for himself, unfortunately, we'll never cover it. But um, but yeah, like DiCaprio is is outstanding, and he's the most outstanding when he gets to play his own age. I find because um, and Frank Abagnale um, is someone that was like eighteen. <laughs> Yeah, like, like he's he's like a kid. He's like barely an adult. He's like, in fact, he was like seventeen. Like he was a kid, and that was the whole thing. Like DiCaprio looks like a kid in two thousand two. Pretty much was. Yeah, pretty, pretty much was. It. Yeah, he's like what forty four now. I think. Something like that. Yeah. Barely, barely, well. <laughs> barely, barely able to drink. 
Yeah, right, yeah. Um, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys think of um, Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill. Yeah. I think Jonah Hill was incredible. Great dude, all around, just a great fellow. Um, <laughs> Nick, we're talking about the movie news. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jonah Hill was was incredible in Wolf of Wall Street. I really do. Him Wait, portraying you know, Donnie was was very, very well put together, I think, for Jonah Hill. Yeah. I feel like you can't... What was his character's name in, um, in uh, Moneyball? I forget. I forget. I forget, I forget too. Not off the top of my head, I don't know. So, um, do you guys like Jordan? Like, do I like Jordan? Like yeah. Jordan Belford, the actual person? Yeah, like how he's presented here. Do you like him? Yeah. Uh, are, yeah. Are, are we are we talking as Jordan Belford as in reality or as in how he's portrayed? How he's portrayed. Yeah. Oh, how he's how portrayed, portrayed by DiCaprio. Uh-huh. I think, I think it's rather, um, rather impressive the way they, they portray him. Yeah, I, I know, you know not DiCaprio as him, but just him as a character. Yeah. I mean, they really they really only show in the movie you know, how he led up to creating Stride and Oakmont and then all the crazy shit that he did while he was there. They didn't really show you yeah. know, and important, important issues. You know, the only really important stuff they showed was, you know, him on trial or him in the meeting with the lawyers or him in the meeting with the FCC. Yeah. FBI yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. They didn't really As, show him in like, like you said, any important business meetings or the only one we really saw was, you know, with Steve Madden, but that was only one scene and mm. it turned into a whole spiel. Right. Steve, Steve Madden. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, they, they portrayed him well in this film. It was just kind of like, in my opinion, I wish they kind of showed more of his work work ethic. You know what I mean? Yeah. To kind of show how he was as a you know as a stockbroker or as right. a CEO of Stratton. Yeah. I I not, not as like a party guy who takes fucking quizzes yeah. and goes on a yacht and you know just he's a tragic figure. Lives it up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A tragic. That's figure. how I see him. I don't. Yeah. I'm I'm always conflicted if I'm supposed to like any of Scorsese's protagonists. Um. Or at least a majority, I wouldn't say all, because yeah. I like I, Jesus. I think he made a movie about yeah. Jesus. Bible. Last Temptation of Christ. I'm, I just. Oh. <laughs> um, he wrote the Bible. He, he did. Yeah, <laughs> the, Scorsese, Scorsese is the Bible. Is the Bible? <laughs> That's him. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yes, you are. No, but yeah, don't kid yourself. Come on now. Um, Let's. I do notice that this time around they didn't do any work <laughs> you yeah, know like they didn't they didn't go like they um showed how they make connections to yeah. their clients like and, I think, and things like that but they never go out of their way to be like this is how we do things around the office and this is and i feel like that would have been in 
an interesting addition because mm. I mean, you think about all the all the money laundering and all the other like all the other crazy shit that mm. the people in that place did. How do you think they made these connections? What do you think went on? Like, I feel like that would have been an, a very a very very interesting addition to what goes on. Yeah, yeah, but like with doing something like that, that turns it more into like a like a serious film. Like this film was portrayed as kind of like a. It's a flat. Like it's a comedy. Yeah, like a comedy. But I mean, if, I mean, if, I you were, if you were to go to the root as to how they made their connections, the money laundering and stuff, it kind of then turns into more of like a, for example, like good it doesn't films, like a gangster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't mean as like super the ins and outs. in depth. Yeah. The ins and outs. Yeah, yeah, the ins and outs. I don't mean like super in depth, but I mean like maybe throw in like a scene where he meets up with somebody about. Like for like at least one business meeting type deal where something goes incredibly wrong or or, or something like that and they have to you know pull some more sketchy shit because I'm sure I mean in that business you have to do something like that eventually. Well, I think you know? the I think the way they portrayed the film was kind of like you're you're just assuming that they're doing well. You're assuming that Shrapnel Mon is you know one of the top fair, brokers, fair. brokers in the in the fair. In the I nation, can see that I mean? actually. Yeah, how they have all these clients. How they're so successful. How he has all this money and does all this crazy shit. Yeah, the I think audience... Stratton Oakmont's success is uh, capitalized on Jordan's success. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I. 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 I and the, I and the success equals excess. Yeah. yeah. And the audience kind of has to assume and picture it themselves how he got the success. How mm-hmm. he made all these connections, how he's going through all this stuff. You know what I mean? They, yeah. They, Scorsese they obviously didn't want to throw that in there, you know, and just kind of run along with it. Fair, and fair. Bore the audience, you know what I mean? I agree. Supposed to be in fact, Jordan that, like, tells us, I can tell that you guys don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he breaks the fourth wall and yeah, he's yeah. explaining yeah. the IPO and whatever. And he's like, I can obviously tell that you guys don't give it's a the, shit. Yeah, it's not as interesting. Yeah. All right, fair point. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, I, I, I can because it's it's in that lack of sympathy as as interesting as i think it would be i think i think you're right actually i think that would have been kind of a kind of a bit of a takeaway it's it is a little out of the ordinary for the the movie the way it's uh the way it's put together yeah this movie is more about the crazy lavish life that he fucking yeah, has. You know, the, all the all the drugs, all the booze, the all cars, the cars, like the cars, yeah, it's it's all the fucked up shit that, that went that. on. Yeah. That's how this movie was supposed to be portrayed, not like, and not to put any offense on you or oh no no no, no. whatever, but like it wasn't supposed to like lead on into like these boring business meetings where they made all these connections. Yeah, right? no, I I I honestly God, I can see that. I understand that now. I yeah. I can. I was. I had. I had the kind of thought. Processing a little bit, but the more you guys say that, yeah, I I, I can definitely see it. I can because, definitely see why. Um, Jordan is a self-made person, and this is this is a if self-made. a nobody had their vision of success, I think this is what it would look like. It's a cars, it's houses. A it's a self-made women. story, right? For self-made yeah. success, yeah. Um, that was I think a good way to put that. What I'm fascinated by on this most recent watch. Is how many famous directors were in this, like um, John Favreau, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Reiner, Spike, Lee. Spike Jones, Spike, <laughs> Spike Lee. Yeah, <laughs> so close. You almost had it. <laughs> so far. you hit that nail down on the board, so... and the nail just bent, just just a little bit. Man, but... you can obviously tell that I don't pay attention to movie directors or anything. 
like, <laughs> for me, if it has explosions, boobs, and drugs, and things, <laughs> like, I'll watch it. Spike you can, Lee. You can, title that, <laughs> you can title that movie something that Nick would watch. Up the top. I mean, that's why I watch Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> boobs. 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 We're cutting <laughs> all of this. <laughs> but uh, no, um, the um, directors of <laughs> the generations <laughs> that would have come after Marty idolize him the same way Stratton Oakmont employees idolize Jordan. Um, because it's not just that um, Marty. It's not just that Marty made another movie this decade because he already has that Shutter Island and Hugo out. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. That sounds right. Uh, Shutter Island and Hugo out at this time. So it's like, okay, yeah, it's a new Marty Scorsese movie. It's an event, but what's the big deal? Like, like he'd already he's on a run. But um, but so for this, I think that things are a little different because he's in this like casino Goodfellas-y kind of mode mm-hmm. of like showing you the ins and outs of an operation, even though it's not about the operation. It's about the people it's a, in the it's, operations. Yeah. It's more of a oh, character side. It's a biopic. Yeah. 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 I think... And Scorsese is the master of biopics. He's, I mean, in a really in a genre that is so stale and tired, and and can get just get bogged down in um, repetition. It, Scorsese can find. It's like I brought up Aviator earlier. Um, Howard Hughes he focuses on the OCD and his obsessive controlling. Well, disorder, that's what OCD stands for. And, um, shit. <laughs> right. Jeez, yeah. The OCD. Yeah. Um, and how the, his OCD goes into his filmmaking career. And it's like, if, if that was anyone else telling a Howard Hughes biopic, it would be like, well, here's Howard Hughes as a child. And then here's him in high school. And then here's him discovering a camera. Like, it's yeah, it, like, camera. yeah. And <laughs> here's him meeting Catherine Hepburn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, and, and the same can be said for any of his movies because like seventy percent of them are real stories. This one's a real story. Goodfellas is a real story. Raging Bull, um, you know, uh, like Gangs of New York. Um, yeah, they're all a majority of them are based on based on yeah things that actually happened. Things happen. that right. really did happen. happen. Real, you know. Characters and they might not be factually accurate. Yeah, it's it's based on the events that happened. He's very selective in what he and how he chooses. And he's very, very good at choosing things and then formulating them into a film such as Wolf of Wall Street. It's it's he chose the events that happened in this guy's life that transpired into forming the man, the man, the wolf. Yeah, the wolf himself. It's it's when you really when you think about it, it's rather impressive. Just choosing some guy's life and then choosing to make such an incredible, incredible film off of it. Yeah, like the crazy. Like you don't really think about it. He's not. Granted, there's not a lot of people that can really say that had such a crazy ass life as Jordan Belfort did. Mm. But that being said, it's still a rather impressive choice. 
for him to go and pick out just this dude wrote a book in prison about his life, right. made billions of dollars, right. sold out his company and all that kind of deal, and then make such an incredible, like, fun. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. Movie it's a very watch. rewatchable experience. It's, uh, I love it. I, Despite I this it being three hours, it does not feel it, it doesn't, that way. It in the feels slightest. like it all. Is. He's a master of pacing. It's true. Yeah, he's he a really, master he really of pacing. Is. It's, it's um, incredible. Of course, that goes along with his longtime collaboration with Thelma Shoemaker as editor and how they're just... Um, they have a, they because have a, pacing is key. They have a very, yeah. very good chemistry when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, they they know how to take you on a journey with just one person and um, and how not to get bored with that person. Yeah. It's true. And I think even... I think Wolf of Wall Street wasn't even just about choosing that one person. Yes, of course, it is about, or, but it's also, it is really about people like Donnie mm. and, and, and everybody else in, uh, in the company and, and how, how important they really are to Jordan as well as how important Jordan is to them. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love it. I, yeah. I love that whole, that whole aspect. Is this your, do you guys find this to be your favorite Scorsese? I think so. I think it might be. That's tough for me. Mm. I, you know, me being me, I'll watch anything. Right. <laughs> but I, all-time favorite movie, like, Goodfellas. All-time. Like, yeah. it, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a toss-up between Goodfellas and War. Will I, you, I was about to say, Goodfellas is definitely up there for me. Will you sit down and watch uh, Last Temptation of Christ? If you watch anything, Scorsese is the Whoa, fucking Bible. Let's not get ahead of her. I have my standard. <laughs> <laughs> Will you sit down and watch Silence? Is a two and a half hour battle with his own faith and Jesuit priests having their Christianity tested that he made in 2016. Dude, if it's interesting to Nick, <laughs> no, if it's interesting to Nick, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield are in it. Really? <laughs> it made like thirty dollars at the box office. Do it. It's, it's something that he wanted to make his entire life. Yeah. And it made $30. It was, is that, is hard, that... was hardly marketed. Yeah. Or something like that. No, what's it called? Silence. Silence. <laughs> I think my favorite Scorsese is After Hours. It made $12.7 million. Or Taxi Driver. Huh? It made $12.7 million. It's, but the budget has to be crazy expensive. But it's also silence. It's also just that Marty has been wanting to make that movie for so long, and it was just hardly marketed. Yeah. So Let's it's see. silence grows seven point one million dollars in the U.S. and Canada, and sixteen point six million in other territories for a worldwide total of twenty three point seven million, against a production budget of forty to fifty million. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's really, not good. That's tough. That's not good. That's a little bit of a tough pill. And that's why he's working with Netflix now, because. Netflix can rein in auteurs like him, um, Alfonso Krong, Bong Joon-ho, and just be like, hey, <laughs> you guys can make whatever you want. We'll give you any movie star, the, any size budget you ask for, and we will uh, distribute it. And without creative uh, control, and box office won't determine um, your next move because we don't have a box office. Um, 
except what Regal, Cinemark, and AMC don't play Netflix movies. So if they wanted a box office, they can't have it because um, they need that gap window of a theatrical one, which is kind of bullshit. But um, but yeah, so that's kind of what led Scorsese to work with Netflix. I think that's a good move. Yeah. I think that's an excellent move it's to prevent move. something like that from yeah. being done, which is, yeah. you know, awesome for Scorsese, I say. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think um, happens to Jordan after this movie? Did he learns from his mistakes. Well, yeah, because then he starts he starts doing um, his, his straight line seminar. Yeah, teaching people how to you know sell me this pen. Yeah, sell me. It just reverts back to his old pitch. Sell me this pen, mm. and you know that's how he got to start with the you know the first twenty of Stratton Oakmont <laughs> with Brad. Brad, <laughs> who I've always seen you as Brad. That's, that's really? like, I mean, you kind of resemble a Bernthal when he like his character introduction when he's like pumping the iron. He has like a cigarette out of his mouth. And he's, he's like tapping those kids on the nuts. <laughs> um, oh, so you're saying I just sell pills? You sell weed. <laughs> sell weed and pills. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> it's not just the Brad character, but it's also John John Bernthal as an actor. Yeah, he kind of reminded me of. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's like um in that diner scene, which is one of my favorite scenes because of the masterful character introductions that um Scorsese is capable of. Yeah. He's great at character introductions. I mean, think about the the tracking John Goodfellas. When he's like teaching about the mafia family and mm-hmm. yeah, everyone's nickname, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, he goes to Brad and he's like, "Sell me this pen," and he's like, "Hey, I want you to write down your name or something like that." Yeah, he goes, and he's like, "I want you to write down your name." Well, don't do that. Well, here's this pen. Supply, supply and demand. demand. Right, Slots right. And it down. and while he's doing that, Bernthal is like all upset because he doesn't have ketchup. Oh, and yeah. he's like, and he's so he's so pissed <laughs> off and, um. Yet he's casting Marty's. I noticed that he's casting a lot of people that have interesting faces. Yeah, like uh, Jordan's posse isn't all that dimensional or developed, but what they do have is uh, character, yeah. uh, like character facially depth. character character. Um, like um, like, like Bernthal. Bernthal is a great example. Yeah. Um, we don't get to know him that well, but it's like. We because that handlebar mustache and he like doesn't wear a shirt a whole lot and he has the slick black hair. We we get his whole story just from his look. Yeah, it's the kind of person that he is. It's quite masterful. It is. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's elite storytelling. It's another yeah. impressive trait. Yeah, not, not too much detail on the character, but just by his you know appearance. Yeah, his appearance. Mm-hmm. You can just tell, you know where this guy's been or what he does you know they, he obviously has a small introduction for brad and yeah, all these other characters right. has those small little scenes yeah. but still just with those small little scenes you can just t- you can just tell how this person's been throughout <laughs> their life like and he describes everyone as a weed dealer <laughs> yeah exactly everybody everybody just you know coincidentally deals weed yeah because <laughs> it's like once you hear that, you're like, oh, this guy's already pretty pathetic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, everyone is already scraping together money to meet, make ends meet. Yep. And um, 
and Jordan just has a little bit more ambition than his friends. <laughs> but even then, he's just like, yeah, I think we're going to make something of myself. Yeah. <laughs> and so he does. Yeah, and so he does. And yeah. so he does. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see how his posse is also roped into all this madness. Yeah. And, atro- like, atrocity. Um, and how they're all getting... And just that main little posse is, you, you know, the only people that you see getting investigated by the SEC. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that scene where they're all denying everything. Yeah. And, and you have that one member of the posse when he's like, hey, uh, what's that Danish doing over there? And he's just... He keeps on like, no, I don't recognize that. What were you talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you recall that? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend it. You mean recollect. No. <laughs> yeah, just in the character development between that small group mm. just throughout the film. like even, even though you don't get to see each and every character that much, you just see from that first scene in the diner to the last scene where, you know, the FBI comes in and starts you know, just tearing it up. You just see how they transition throughout the film. Like Rugrat, for example. <laughs> right. You know, He's like the one that actually went to law school. Yeah, the one that <laughs> actually went to law school. And then, you know... The fake hair piece. Yeah. Fake the hair fake piece. He, he, do, he doesn't seem that much of like a partier or whatever, mm. but right. then all of a sudden you see him getting arrested with the, uh, the Swiss banker in... <laughs> because of Benny Hanna. <laughs> Benny fucking Hanna. Hibachi restaurants. A fucking hibachi restaurant. Why, God? Why did you choose to take me down with a chain of hibachi restaurants? Right, like he had nothing to do with Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely nothing to do with him. Um, the first few watches, I remember... Yeah, I remember thinking, this is all fun. Like, this is all very seductive. And I feel entranced by this. But at the same time, it's um, I. It got to a point where it's like, oh, now the downfall is coming. Yeah. Like now the party's over. And you can slowly the cops see are here. Yeah. You, the cops are here, quote unquote. When, um, oh, I just had not Kyle McLaughlin. Um, Kyle Chandler, um, shows up, and he's like, both metaphorically and literally the authority figure Mm -hmm. to this party this three-hour party that we're witnessing and he's just like i need i need to remind you this is illegal like yeah this is very very wrong what you're doing is very even if this isn't making sense to the audience or if this feels like it's convoluted for um intentionality i think that kyle chandler he kind of like shuts it down because he has to like be the wake-up call. Yeah. yeah. He, he shuts it down yeah. because he has to shut it down. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's obligated to, but he's also, you know, a wake-up call for Jordan Belford because after that whole situation happens, he kind of gets to the realization where, you know, he's just, he's done with doing all this crazy shit. You know, he his wife left him, took the kids, under house arrest, goes to jail, <laughs> right. and now he's... You know, came he came from the top, you know, rich and successful CEO of a of a Wall Street 
uh, broker, whatever the hell it's called. And now he's now he so went from tippity top to rock bottom. So so to speak, demoted to giving seminars. Yeah, and helping other people be successful in making sales. It goes right. from focusing on him, what he needs, to focusing on to focus people. on everybody else. Yeah. Now he's like, I'm going to use my skills as a charismatic um, tool. Salesman. Yeah. A yeah. Sales, salesman. Yeah. He's selling himself. He, exactly. Yeah. About he's to say selling that. himself and yeah. his methods to yeah. other people. And now he realizes this. He's and he's not just it. now, now he's not using it for chaos and um, self-harm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but now he's using it to further everyone else's success. It goes from that's what I that's a, as I said it goes from him being the um, like at the tippity top to hitting rock bottom and I think yeah. that rock bottom is when he it, it is that realization of this is just wrong yeah it's wrong uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna do what I can to do for other people yeah once in my life you know? and now like, something that I noticed is like Leo is so handsome I hope you understand that he's incredibly handsome. And I'm not just noticing this. So I don't think this is a revelation. <laughs> but when he is in the downfall, like in the 45 minutes, the last 45 minutes, and he's like so addicted to Quaaludes. Like he needs, like when that boat's going down. I'm not dying. And Shea sober. Wiggum's with them, with them. Like this is the first time I'm recognizing Shea Wiggum. Um, yeah, like when he oh, can't yeah. die sober. Um, I'm realizing that. He doesn't look like a drug addict, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, like, Leo is so handsome that you're, like, and he's so good that he betrays, like, the the dilated pupils and, like, the sweating and, like, his hair is a little messed up sometimes. And, um... The drooling. The drooling, yeah. <laughs> Down the steps. But it's... Golf course. Yeah, the cerebral palsy phase. phase. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he's so good in, like, the, the quieter moments... That you're just, um, yeah, you're just astounded that he is, at the same time, addicted to drugs because he, he doesn't look like a traditional. Yeah, drug it's, addict, it's something that you that you just kind of keep in your head, right? You know, you don't think about it too much. You know, it's there, and you know it's bad, and you know it's wrong. Yeah, and it's like at the same time, and so does he. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's like he he doesn't really portray the drug addict type he doesn't um you know it's just i don't know i feel like the way that he portrays the whole character but also portrays like that really shitty like i'm addicted to quaaludes and cocaine and i do all this bad shit to myself i feel like i don't know i think that's just a really good way to good way to put it for him what i what i caught in the film and this kind of this kind of falls back onto what we were saying about how he realized, you know, shit. Like, I'm I'm kind of fucked at this point. Mm-hmm. When he was on trial, got convicted, got put in the cuffs, and turns to his parents. Dad doesn't make eye contact with him. Now I, w- I now I'm wondering if that actually happened, and I'm also wondering how the relationship was between his parents. After he got out, because his dad was warning him the whole time, constantly throughout the whole the time, constantly throughout the film. Chickens are coming home to roost. Mm. 
<coughs> like, excuse me. The whole thing is, it's going to come back to bite you in the but ass yeah, and it ain't going to be know, good. In the film, and he caught this fairly early on, too. Yeah, he knew it. Yeah. Yeah, and in the film, he knew the you know, he's walking out of the courtroom, gives his parents a look. You know, the mother obviously is just traumatized by the whole situation, as a mother would be. But the father, he's just, he gives no eye contact to Jordan. No mm. eye contact whatsoever. Now, I'm wondering how the relationship was between Jordan and his father after all this situation mm. happened, after he got out of jail, started doing the seminar, started helping out other people. I'm wondering how the relationship between father and son, because they were close during the film, during the entire film. You know, he was a part of the company. He was the enforcer. Now what? <laughs> you know? Right. He, he's lost. He's right. lost his wife, his kids, his company, all that money. He's lost everything. He's lost everything. He has. Yeah. How's the relationship between his parents? Because, you know. And from another um, perspective, I'm sure his dad had had enough appreciation and love for Stratton that Jordan had. Yeah, Yeah. there's no doubt about that. It's not as much with his father. It's not as much bringing Jordan's company down as it is bringing their company down. Yeah. You know? Because his father was so involved. It's right. not just about Jordan. It's not just about... He's like another employee. His company, yeah. it's still one of... like His father is one of those like beloved employees. Yeah. yeah one of the people that he cares about. One of the people that he does anything for. And that you, also got, you also got to think on top of that. His dad wanted him to give it all up. Yeah. He wanted him to you know sign the papers with the SEC. That's, I think that was just his father going into father mode. Yeah. You know, yeah. like defending everything he can, doesn't want him to screw up, doesn't want him to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what, that's what I mean because, you know, during yeah. the entire film, you see the bond between them is so strong. And then all, and, of, know, sudden, all of a sudden, you know, this is just, there it goes. Yeah, um, and I'm just wondering how yeah. that bond was. Yeah, after yeah absolutely. Do you guys have any other final thoughts? Um, favorite scenes? Favorite, uh, favorite scenes, you know, obviously I said mine was. The yacht scene, the two FBI agents come on, they had that little chit chat <laughs> with you know Jordan, and then all of a sudden he's tossing the bills and lobsters at them. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, my scene, my favorite scene being the uh, the I'm not fucking leaving speech, yes. yeah, hands down, one of the best scenes. I think my favorite scene would have to be, um, maybe uh, the scene with McConaughey. Sure, it's not the one where he's on Clay Luz rolling down the uh, steps of the golf course. Shit, that's good. <laughs> it's between those two, but yeah, thank you guys for being here. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having us, yeah. Jeff. Yeah, this is, this is great. Um, this was. We'll yeah. be back. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> stay in the family for, for the guests. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so thank you for listening. Please remember, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for listening. I wish you all the best.